The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. I was preparing to give a talk on something I have expertise in. I've taught on this topic for a decade. A week before the event date, I had this thought. Do I even know what I'm doing? Can I really do this? I felt so much pressure. It was a big audience and they feel really important. I want to do a great job for them. And the closer the event date gets, the more my anxiety spikes. My mind was racing and feeling like I didn't know what I was doing. There was a fear of, quote unquote, being found out. There was also this avoidance, not wanting to work on my presentation. And on a side note, isn't it weird that the anxiety can trigger resistance to preparing? It came in waves for a couple of days. I talked to my coach about it and she helped me reframe it and look at it from another perspective. She also helped me find the humor in it by asking this question, what evidence do you have that you do know what you're doing? How many times have you presented on this topic before? Remember the glowing feedback you got from the last group? Can you go ahead and read that again? Hey listeners, welcome to In the Arena. I'm Jackie Goldberg. And I'm Leah Smart. And today we're going to be talking about imposter syndrome. So we just shared a story with you from a listener about their experience of imposter syndrome. And when we started thinking about what we we're going to, to do with this episode, what came up for us was wanting to explore a topic that's typically not talked about, to understand it more through the research that's out there, but also through your stories. What we realized is there are so many different ways that imposter syndrome shows up. And this conversation today is by no means us saying we know everything about imposter syndrome. In fact, I think we stopped our research, Jackie, feeling like we had more questions than answers. 100%. And I believe that what we do know about it is that we've both felt it. We've both had experiences in our own careers and our own lives. Um, You know, my first time experiencing imposter syndrome was in my first job. I remember being in a boardroom with people who were older than me, had a lot more experience than me, and I was being recognized for an accomplishment on a project that I had. And I remember sitting there and being like, they are going to find out that I am a fraud. I am not this capable. Who am I to be sitting here? It was a wave of just feeling not worthy. Like I'm like like insecure. And it was bizarre because it came on so strong. And, you know, what I loved about the story that we shared in the opening is how people got through it. You know, in the case that we shared, someone talked to our coach about it and had them coach through it. In my experience, I talked to colleagues. And this is what this episode is about, being able to shed light on something we all experience and, and having a community around talking about it and leaning on your colleagues and your peers and your managers and your mentors to, to help you through it. And that was what got me through it, recognizing that I wasn't alone in feeling this. 
Yeah, and I, I love that story. Yours was about the fact that you were actually being positively recognized, right? Someone was saying you were amazing and you still had that experience. And it's interesting when I was thinking about my own experiences of imposter syndrome, I felt like when I remembered it, it was accompanied with shame. So not only was I feeling imposter syndrome or whatever that is, Jackie and I were saying we really want to just rename this thing because it doesn't even make sense for today. But it's this feeling of shame, this feeling of like, I am not enough, right? I'm not worthy, right? And so there is that feeling that accompanies imposter syndrome for all of us. And what was interesting when we were looking into the research was originally we're like, what is this thing? What is imposter syndrome? And even in the stories that we got from all of our listeners, which thank you all for submitting them, we noticed so many differences and variances in the way it shows up. Sometimes it's tied to challenges with confidence. Sometimes it's not, right? And so we started moving through this process of figuring it out. And what we found out was... One of the big things that triggers imposter syndrome is new environments and typically new environments that are related to achievement in some way. And Jackie and I went down a whole rabbit hole, still not conclusive on what achievement actually means. (laughs) But we did find that a lot of the stories had to do with work, right? Where achievement is related to our value, right? And then, you know, we also talked about things like achievement in relationships or as a parent, other areas where you're being measured against either a real or an imaginary thing. Yeah. And the tie to achievement is actually very well documented. You know, imposter syndrome, which was actually termed imposter phenomenon. So it This whole phenomenon was first identified in the late 1970s by psychologists Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes. And they did tie it to achievement. But to your point, we were like, well, what does achievement mean, right? Like, what does success mean to one person versus another? But the scenarios or environments where we see imposter syndrome thrive are those where achievement is somewhat identified or outlined for you. So for example, growing up and going to school, you know an A means success. When you're in your office and you're getting your performance rating, you know what that looks like. And so we're automatically put into these environments where we do feel there is some sort of achievement. But what's interesting and what we talked about was it actually is so within us. It's like an inner self-worth thing that whether there's achievement that is outlined for us in a school or a business, there's a sense of comparison, right? How do I compare to the people around me? And that can be anywhere, right? That could be in your church community. That could be on a basketball team. You compare yourselves to the people around you, and then that becomes about you, right? Versus the others around you, right? It's not an external thing. It's an internal thing. And so here's the thing. It's not just the comparison piece when it comes to achievement. Imposter syndrome is specified as the belief that what you've accomplished is not yours. It doesn't come from you. It's not your own endeavors or there was some mistake or some stroke of luck that got you here. Hence, imposter, right? I don't belong here. Jackie and I talked about this because originally when it was researched by these two psychologists, they were researching specifically women. They wanted to find out if it was a female-based challenge. And the truth is, of course not. And what we heard as we continued to research was also 70% of people experience imposter syndrome at some point or another, right? The feeling that you are going to be found out that you don't belong in the room or on the team or in whatever space where you're being measured up against some sort of achievement. 
And so that is a really important thing, right? It's the belief that you're experiencing strokes of luck, not that you have all that you need and that by showing up and giving it, you can then achieve. And of course, you got to where you got. Yeah. And when we looked at what we thought we knew versus what we found out slash are still figuring out, we really recognize just how gray this topic is, meaning like it's not so straightforward. And we saw that in the responses that we got. So it's universally shared. People feel it because it's embedded in who they are, the experiences they've had in childhood. There's a really good imposter syndrome quiz. It's actually on uh, Dr. Pauline Clance's website, one of the you know psychologists who identified imposter syndrome. There are 20 questions and you can take it to see if you're feeling these types of feelings. But I want to share a few of the statements here because I think it actually does a great job of almost defining it in what seems like a gray topic. So let me read a few here. I'm afraid people important to me may find out that I'm not as capable as they think I am. Or sometimes I feel or believe that my success in life or my job has been the result of some kind of error. This one, at times I feel my success has been due to some kind of luck, what you just uh, stated, Leah. And then two more here. Sometimes I'm afraid others will discover how much knowledge or ability I really lack. And if I receive a great deal of praise and recognition for something I've accomplished, I tend to discount the importance of what I've done. I feel like these really summarize some of those thoughts that people feel about doubting their own abilities or questioning their self-worth. Yeah. And I mean, even the last one was similar or aligned to your story, right? About getting praise and then saying like, gosh, I don't know if if this is really what is this is really me? If I re- are they going to find me out? As you were reading those, I was thinking about one of my experiences of imposter syndrome, which was uh, about four years ago. I was taking on a new role, and I'd never done anything like it before. And I was I had a lot. I felt there was a lot expected of me in a very short amount of time, without a whole lot of space to figure out what I was doing. I just had to go, and I can remember the experience of dread, shame fear of being found out as I was creating things within this this role, as I was showing up, you know, as a as a kind of figure in this role and feeling like, wait a minute, when are they going to find out that, you know, I don't have as much knowledge or ability as they thought I would. And as I was thinking about it too, you know, we, we got to this as we were continuing to research. There was an article that came out in Harvard Business Review that was titled, Stop Telling Women They Have Imposter Syndrome. Imposter syndrome is not just about you. It's about the environment you're in, right? And so for me in this environment, I couldn't help but think about the fact that I'm a black woman in tech. I think tech only has 4% uh, a black population. So I'm already a rarity, right? And then being put in positions where a lot is expected and already having feel, already feeling in a lot of ways like, gosh, do I really belong here? Where absolutely, I feel like I belong at LinkedIn. But you know, to have that in the back of your mind running, to always know that you are in the minority, that a lot is expected of you, and that if you don't deliver, it's almost we've been taught, you know, it's almost doubly as bad as if you don't deliver when you're a different race or when you're not a minority. And so for me, it was just thinking about like, you know, of course, the start of this, which is. Is imposter syndrome only for women? No, but also the fact that a lot of it is our environment. If I see people around me all the time that look just like me doing well and messing up and being okay or, or, or understanding that, you know, they're still not there because of luck 
or, you know, they still have knowledge and ability, it's very different than feeling like I am representing one group of people and that if I mess up, I'm speaking for everybody and then I really don't belong there and I'm going to get found out. You touch on such a such a valuable piece around race and being a minority or an underrepresented group or even you know, having a disability, anything where the environment around you is not like you, right? Where you feel different then. That is something that is built into our society. And when we think about antidotes of imposter syndrome, like what can we do to solve this phenomenon that so many of us feel? There's definitely an individual aspect here, right? Like, and we could talk through, you know, what is healthy self-dialogue look like and self-love, right? And getting out of those moments of experiences. But then there's this bigger picture of what are we doing within society to actually create environments of belonging and acceptance and equality for everyone so that we all recognize that we play a part in creating those environments. And when we think about the conversation around imposter syndrome, what once was a conversation of, you know, it started with only women. Then we realized it was all genders, right? Now we're we're in the space of, well, this is actually a bigger issue, right? This is this is a bigger issue of the world that we live in. And there's a lot of work to be done. You also mentioned belonging, right? You feel like you belong at LinkedIn, and yet belonging is something that we all can play a role in, but again, another antidote to making people feel like they can speak up and creating you know, environments of psychological safety where people feel like they belong. So if they're experiencing imposter syndrome, they could talk about it, right? Can we enter a world where people are openly saying, I feel like an imposter right now. I feel like a fraud. Can someone help me out here? Like, Someone throw me a bone, right? And being able to have that dialogue, can, can, we, can we imagine a world that looks like that? One of the most interesting things was discussing how the antidote environmentally to imposter syndrome can be belonging. And I also think, I mean, Jackie, I'm curious what you think. I feel like belonging is tossed around so much now, particularly in tech. Everyone's talking about belonging. You know, LinkedIn's talked about belonging. What do you actually think it means to belong? Well, I think it starts with being your authentic self, which means if you individually are feeling off, misaligned, like you're holding something back, like you're resisting something, that you feel comfortable speaking up and sharing. And and that is vulnerability as well. So I think it starts with being authentic, being true to yourself, knowing how you're feeling and then being able to vulnerably speak about it and then being supported by it. I think that's where the belonging comes in is that you are not feeling shamed to talk about a quote unquote weakness or a vulnerability of yours. And so that support is what I believe fosters an environment of belonging. I thought you were going to start with the environment that gets created, but you started with the the person actually showing up in a very specific way. So I, you took me to the the research that, you know, Brene Brown has done, which is, do we build trust first and then be vulnerable? Or do we do vulnerability first and then build trust? And the research actually shows that 
we have to take a step into vulnerability to build trust. And so there is this, you know, and, and her definition of vulnerability is, you know, emotional exposure plus risk plus uncertainty. And so we show up in that with somebody or in a group and then we see how they react, right? Like we put ourselves in the riskiest place, which is to potentially not be held, not be brought in, not belong. And we find out, you know, how many steps we can take in that direction. But I love that you started with the person because the more each individual does this, you know, I always say, you know, vulnerability begets more vulnerability or, you know, as Brene Brown said, courage is contagious, right? So if I show up and I'm vulnerable with you, then you're probably going to show up and be vulnerable with me, right? And then it's permission to be more vulnerable. And then we as a collective in a relationship or in a group or on a team start to create the space of feeling like I can say these things without being dropped, right? Without somebody saying, without being ignored or, you know, shunned because I feel a specific way. Or judgment. Or judged. Yeah. Yep. It all starts with us, right? It has to start with the individual because we are what makes up the world, right? Like we can't look to others to create a space. We have to be the people to create that space. And I want to go back on something you spoke about before as it relates to diversity. There is a podcast called The Why Factor, and there's an episode specifically on imposter syndrome, and there's this one quote that they they have here. It says, the more people who look like you, the more confident you feel. And I remember writing that down and being like, yes, that that makes sense. And it's the opposite as, as well, right? The more people who don't look like you, the less confident you feel. And so when we think about the environments that we're trying to create, in our offices, right, around hiring more underrepresented groups, you know, building equity in the workplace. It is so important for us to bring in people with diverse backgrounds so that we are creating this equal playing field and we're not creating this environment where you're just surrounded by people who look like you. Yep. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Kwame Christian, CEO of the American Negotiation Institute, and I have a quick question for you. When was the last time you had a difficult conversation? These conversations happen all the time, and that's exactly why you should listen to Negotiate Anything, the number one negotiation podcast in the world. We produce episodes every single day to help you lead, persuade, and resolve conflicts both at work and at home. So level up your negotiation skills by making Negotiate Anything part of your daily routine. And I mean, it goes beyond race, right? It's it's all social identities that exist that could make you feel different, right? Socioeconomics, gender, race, 
English as a second language, right? Uh, we talked about this, just ha- people who have accents that may feel they're an imposter, right? When they show up into a room with a group of people who maybe don't have American accents or being an American and showing up in a room with a group of people who do not have those accents. And so there are so many different ways that this shows up, uh, you know, religion, Jackie, you know, being Jewish, everybody's got this in some way, shape or form. And so the more we're all together, the more we bring more social identities into into the same space, the less space there is to feel like an imposter, right? And so I think the first thing that, that we can really do is start talking about it more. That's really where a lot of this starts to dissipate. If we don't talk about it, then we don't get to see how many other people experience it. We feel more alone. And then we don't get to flourish in a lot of environments that we're in. Part of the reason this topic excites me, and it's just, I'm realizing it now as we're talking, Jackie, is, you know, I I love positive psychology, which is the psychology of human flourishing, right? Not all the things that can go wrong, which is really what imposter syndrome is based in, but all the things that can go right. And things can go right in more environments if we can talk about them, because it frees people up to then say, this is what I'm experiencing, and it dissipates. There's some research from, you know, Dan Siegel, who says, name it to tame it. And I'm sure we've talked about that before on this on this podcast. Name it to tame it. When you can name what you're experiencing, literally, your brain sends signals that are calming to your body. But you can also, again, get out there and say, this is what I'm going through. And I promise you, it's like when you're in school and people said, there's no dumb questions. If you have a question, somebody else probably has it. And you were still probably nervous to ask the question. But the reality is somebody else probably had it. It's the same thing with imposter syndrome or whatever Jackie and I are going to rename it to. (laughs) You make a great point about naming it. You know, one of the stories that we collected around someone presenting a workshop to a really important internal client group and something that this person has done so many times. It's a key part of this person's job, but this person felt a little triggered in particular, given the seniority of the people in the room. But what helped this person overcome it was just to name it, right? And and speak about it with his co-facilitator directly before the presentation. So, you know, when we talk about ways to overcome it individually, naming it comes after being able to identify it, which is the first part, really knowing when it's your negative self-talk, almost that inner critic, right, that is telling you you're not capable, that you're not worthy, that you're a fraud, all that. Being able to name that and then talk to someone is one of the things that we can do. But in this particular example, I love it. The co-facilitator said to him, I don't want to tell you not to feel like an imposter. It really does happen to all of us. You've done this before and are well-respected. We're going to learn a lot from the workshop regardless, and we're going to grow from it. And so what stood out to this person were the reinsurances that, one, these are normal feelings. Two, he is indeed good at what he does. And three, we don't all have to be perfect, and we can learn and we can grow from our mistakes. And so going back to Brene Brown and being able to step outside your comfort zone and grow from any mistakes that you do make. Yeah. So what I loved about that story is the other person said, I don't want to tell you that you're not an imposter or tell you not to feel this way. 
And what that does for people is validates their experience. So I'm sure we can all think of a time where someone has said something about how they're feeling and what we want to do is coddle them and say, oh my gosh, that's so not true, or you're amazing, or whatever it is. And if you've been on the receiving end of that, you know that doesn't do much of anything, right? So for maybe a moment, you feel a little bit better, but you're still stuck with the same old feeling of whatever you're experiencing. And so we talked a little bit about you know belonging and the way that in in, you know, larger environments, we can start to create this experience for people where they may not feel or be in an environment that's likely for them to feel as much, much imposter syndrome. But imposter syndrome also exists within us, right? It's not just our environment. And one of the things that Jackie and I talk about and care about a lot is the power that each of us has, right? So the power each of us has to change our own internal state. And one of the the women in the Why podcast that uh, Jackie shared discussed that when she had imposter syndrome, her antidote to it was really just learning to trust herself. Like that was it. She was like, I had to learn to trust myself. And as simple as it sounds, it's a really powerful and empowering way to be in your life. I can remember times where I haven't trusted myself uh, and for long periods of time where I didn't trust myself. And so my inner dialogue, my inner critic, as Jackie said, you know, was going off all the time. You can't do this or are you sure or you're not that kind of person, right? That's going and going and going. As you learn to trust yourself, even in small ways, you continue to cast votes for yourself and the person that you want to be, uh, which takes me back to Atomic Habits. But it really truly is about how we can learn to change our own internal state by controlling what we can control, which is, do I trust myself? Do I believe I'm worthy? As much as someone else outside of you or others might not deem you as worthy, you ultimately have the power to decide and to choose self-worth. It also makes me think about how much control we do have over our inner thoughts and our dialogue. So many of us have this, you know, inner critic, negative self-talk. And one of the ways to to overcome that is actually through meditation or practicing meditation because it makes you so aware of your thoughts and over time you can build that muscle that when you're having these negative thoughts, you you A, don't attach to them, but B, you can also change them to that those positive self-talks. One of the exercises I like to do just as a coach with some of my clients is looking at these thoughts as are they fact or they are they interpretation. So if you say them out loud and you ask yourself, is this a fact? Majority of the time, it's not. It's just your own interpretation. And then being able to reframe that into a positive way. Ways to combat, you know, imposter syndrome internally. I love this uh, recommendation, again, from this Y Factor episode about creating a checklist of all of your accomplishments. So if you're experiencing imposter syndrome at work in the moment, sitting down and saying, or sitting down and writing actually, here are the successful projects that I've had. Are they successful? Yes. Am I? Here's the amount of years of experience I have. Am I qualified to do this job? Yes. Here is the positive feedback I received from my manager last week. Was this a fact? Yes, right? And actually having this checklist that you can go through and reflect and recognize that you are capable. Yeah, you're reminding me of December of last year in 2020. I I experienced burnout and I was exhausted. And I forget where this came from. I don't know if I thought of it or maybe a friend recommended it to me, but... 
I was feeling really upset because there was one thing on my list that I wanted to do in 2020 that I didn't do. And I was beating myself up about it. I was trying to force myself to do it, but I had no energy. And so what I did was I had to let it go because I knew it wasn't going to happen. But I also made a list of everything that I had accomplished in 2020. And when I made that list, I was like, holy crap. Like, I did not even realize how much I had done. All I was focusing on was the one thing I hadn't done, right? Like, doesn't matter that I've done, you know, all these things. The list is exhaustive. That if I, I read it to one friend just to, like, say it out loud and, and be heard and witnessed, and this person was like, you're insane, right? And so, and, but to me, all I could look at was the one thing that I didn't do. I, I took an imposter quiz syndrome just as I was as poking around. And perfectionist is one of the, there are apparently different types of imposters, which we're not, not going to get into today, but perfectionist is one type. And so this is a really powerful antidote if you are a perfectionist, is to write down the things that you've done, the times you have won, and also accept that everything is not always going to be perfect. And I think the phrase is, Perfect is the enemy of done, right? <laughs> I think perfect is the enemy of good. Oh, perfect is the enemy of good, right? Or or done, right? So per, is, for me, a lot of times it's like, if I need something to be perfect, I won't do it because I'm so afraid that if I do it, it won't be perfect, right? <laughs> so so it's, it, is, it is the enemy for me of actually just getting stuff done. So just a, just a reminder for all of us, you know, you've got things that you've done, whether you recognize them now or not, and just listing them out can shift how you feel about your abilities. And it it seems like for you, writing them out helped, but it was also speaking to someone else, right? And having someone else take a look at it and help you recognize the state that you were in and maybe bring you to a little bit more reality of all of your accomplishments. Yeah. And the other thing here is celebrating them. So writing them down, but then celebrating your accomplishments as they happen. As, as you know, when you have feelings of imposter syndrome, it's so easy to shake off the award that you just got or shake off the accomplishment or attribute it to, you know, something like error or luck. But actually flipping that on its head and celebrating those with yourself, with people around you, can really help you internalize more of those accomplishments and build that into your self-worth. So Leah, I'm curious, what positive aspects are there of imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon? Okay, well, first we got to rename it. I still don't know what it's going to be called. Well, you know what? Um, When we were first talking about it, Something came up for me that was like, if you're not experiencing it, you're not ambitious enough. <laughs> you're not audacious enough. Like, right? Like, if if you are constantly feeling like you belong everywhere you are and everything's perfect and you are perfectly meeting all of the things that are expected of you, try harder. Push harder. Like, see how much... See how how much power you really have. Like that was my, and this is me coming from an ambitious person and it's no judgment on anyone. I was really thinking about my own experiences and I'm like, yeah, that's right. I do put myself in situations where I'm a little afraid I'm out of my league, right? Like Jackie, you and I were talking a few weeks ago and you said to me, so for those of you who don't know, Jackie's a tennis player. She's good, she says, but she hasn't taught me yet. So we'll we'll see. But she said to me this thing, she said, listen, in tennis, they tell you always play with someone a little bit better. And that just stuck with me. I was like, oh, so when I think about imposter syndrome, the reframe is like, 
yeah, I try to play with people who are better. And so that's where it comes from. You know, like, that's a good thing. If I get to a point where I'm never feeling that, I need to like reassess what I'm up to and decide where I need to be a little more audacious in my goals. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think there's a healthy aspect to pushing yourself or putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. And again, I go back to that, just recognizing it, being able to name it and then work through it, right? Because if it gets too far, if it overtakes you, if you get into this, you know, downward spiral, spiral of shame and frustration, and then it's not healthy, then it's Mm -hmm. not good. But a healthy dose of you know, ambition, discomfort, pushing yourself. I agree. I think there could be the positive aspect to it. But again, it's about being aware of it. Totally. And like, I'm not going out to run for president, right? Like that would give me imposter syndrome and it would not make sense for me, right? So it's healthy striving. So this was really about us wanting to open up a conversation and to empower anyone listening to play your part in how you start to open the conversation, but also to help us all move through imposter syndrome. So as you're thinking about where it shows up for you, also start thinking about the environments where maybe you are advertently or inadvertently letting it perpetuate, right? And so where can you be a little more honest about how you're feeling? Where can you call out how we might be creating environments that could um, perpetuate this? And just really being aware of your impact. So back to where Jackie began, it's really about how we show up as individuals. And as each of us do this, we can make changes in the world. Thank you so much for joining us today in the arena. And for all of our listeners who shared imposter syndrome stories with us, if you have any ideas for new names of this thing that sounds kind of like an illness, but isn't one, please let Leah and I know. We'd love to uh, brainstorm and have some fun with that with all of you. Thanks for joining us on the journey. And you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Audible. And we'll see you here next time. Have a great day, everyone.